and welcome to another episode of Don't Believe Jack, the only show um, called Don't Believe Jack. <laughs> big achievement, big achievement, big news. Uh, no, there's no news. Uh, okay, so we're getting this started. Hello, uh, I've been away from Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, but it has been raining this entire time, and that's been quite remarkable. Um I, uh, what, what, what did I do? I went to Santa Barbara. It was pretty there. I had fun. I saw dolphins. I did not see dolphins. But I heard about someone telling me that they saw the outline of a shark in the ocean, uh, once. And, uh, that sounded pretty serious. Uh, yeah, Santa Barbara's beautiful. I was there, uh, for a, a little work thing. Uh, it's my first time being away from, like, LA and since October, I realize I'm, I'm I don't really get out very much. I, I probably need to do more of that actually. Um, uh, I am uh, doing dandy. I'm having fun. Uh, yeah, Santa Barbara was beautiful. Uh, I mean, I've been there before. I went there before for this uh, this film festival, which was in itself remarkable. I went to uh, support my friend uh, who was uh, screening a film there, but I also saw this film called King Bibi which I've been telling like everyone about because it's basically about uh it's called it's basically about the political performances of Benjamin Netanyahu and um and it's just it's amazing and it's just amazing that he's like a proto Trump before Trump in the 90s and uh he's just like big man politics he understands how to do public speaking he also like legitimately I was like Benjamin Netanyahu's like straight up just a like a super intelligent person i started reading up about him at mit he triple majored finished one of the majors and was on his way to finishing the other two and apparently did very well in terms of grades and he did it all in uh two and a half uh he did it all in two and a half years which is insane and then he went on to business school and he got one of like the highest gpas there just basically just a beast you know just a real uh, a real badass. Uh, wait, I'm gonna pause this. I am. Uh, I'm in the process of making yogurt, uh, as I want to do on weekends. Um, it's it's my it's my it's not. I was gonna say it's my jam, but that's that's different than yogurt. Waka 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 <laughs> flocka flame. Um, what did I? Yeah, I just. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. This documentary about uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is just. Just really, really interesting. Like, he, yeah, Benjamin Netanyahu seems like he's, like, legit just a really, really smart guy. But what the funny thing is that he took classes from this person named Lillian Wilder, who is also the person who taught, uh, who coached Oprah in public speaking. Uh, so, you know, probably real good. And, um, and you can see him getting better and better and more confident and comfortable with public speaking and with, you know, manipulating the media sort of as time goes on. And it is just, you're just like, wow, you're just seeing this guy just sort of come into his own. And it's so funny. It's just so funny to see this guy just rock it. Uh, but also just saying like the most terrible things. Like I didn't realize that basically Benjamin Netanyahu was sort of like responsible for agitating the far right people that killed uh, Yitzhak Rabin and basically ended any hopes of a Middle East peace process, which is, I mean, you know, you can feel different ways, but it's just the idea that, like, a sitting candidate from a party basically riled people up to the point that someone actually killed, like, um, the head of state who was trying to create some kind of peace. 
uh, is just, you're just like, wow, it's amazing. This King BB documentary, just really, really fun. <laughs> I know fun, fun may not be the right word, but, but interesting and insightful. There was a great line. Um, God, there was this really funny, and, and so I became obsessed with Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, and I started reading up about, you know, basically the kinds of things he would do. Um, like just in terms of the media, like he even, he was exposed as cheating on his wife and he spun it on camera. He managed to spin it and get public opinion to go his way. Like he's a wizard. He's a wizard. Um, and I don't use that word lightly. (laughs) Um, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. And you see him go from being like sort of soft spoken to just being like super virile machismo. It's just incredible. And he's just killing it. You know, I went to a Q and A with the director and, and the director basically said, you know, we're on the cusp and he's Israeli and he was just like, we're on the cusp of either, either Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be our longest serving, uh, president, prime minister in Israel's history or he's going to jail. Which are, I can't really think of, like, further apart, uh, you know, outcomes. Uh, but incredible stuff. Um, yeah, but you, but there's this great B-roll footage where he's practicing public speaking. And he's there's a camera on him because the idea is it's like a fake news program. And it's like him practicing, telling, like, making a point and then is spinning this anecdote, like, casually to, like, uh, serve the point. And the idea was that really the rise of one of the theses of the, the film, I've only saw the first hour of it, but it was riveting to me, uh, especially because I'm interested in like history and, uh, and leadership and all sorts of other stuff that we've talked about um, or that I've talked about. And you probably have listened, uh, but yeah, we've talked, we've talked. Uh, and it's just amazing because basically he becomes the master of the soundbite. That's how he rises to political notoriety, considering he's like, an Israeli who was raised in America pretty much his entire uh, young life. Um, but anyways, I started reading more articles about Benjamin Netanyahu, and he basically, some up-and-coming person was asking him. He currently has a different speech coach now because uh, Lillian Wilder is, is passed and also someone who's Israel, Israel-based. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just see his gimmicks, and they don't really work for me. They don't work on me because I can see through them. And it's not like I've been trained in, like, presentation. I just, I'm just i just like, oh, this is just theater. This is just theater. Like, it doesn't take any kind of, like, like any kind of special skill to see through it. But you can see how it plays to certain people. And certain people are so persuaded by, like, things that are really, like, honestly, like, dumb or weak arguments. <laughs> it's just funny. Um but but anyways, in this in this interview, someone some up and coming uh, young Israeli politician asked Benjamin Netanyahu, like, how can I succeed in politics? And basically, Benjamin Netanyahu says uh, there are three things: media, media, media. And there's something really like when I started after seeing the first hour. I'll just say this: after start seeing the first hour of King Bibi. It totally, I mean, already it's not like I'm one of those like crazy, I mean, I'm not for Trump's policies, but the people who are like, he's such an idiot, he does all this stupid stuff. I've never really been in that camp. I'm like, no, there's actually something like, like even if the policies are terrible, the delivery is amazing. The delivery is incredible. <laughs> it is unparalleled. Um, He just, it's unique. It's bespoke. It, the method is the message. With with Trump, I, I can say that the same thing could be said for Dr. King. To put this in perspective, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. 
Because, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu's right. It's media, media, media. Everyone's like, Trump is so stupid. All he does is he goes on Twitter and he says all this stuff and then he's obsessed with how his administration comes off on TV and he watches TV all day. It's like, yes, from a policy perspective, that's very much a closed loop of thinking. But from, like, uh, trying to win a campaign perspective... It's like, yeah, he's so stupid. You know, I mean, especially like in LA, I just find this. It's like, he's so stupid. Trump is so dumb. He cares about that medium that I've devoted my life to trying to break into. You know, like, like how can anyone in Los Angeles really think the fact that Trump watches TV all day is stupid? Like, everyone here is trying to build their careers on like TV. Like, you look at all the comics. They're all on Twitter. They're all, right, currently they're all putting, like, half-naked pictures of themselves on Instagram. (laughs) And they're calling Trump stupid. I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't make sense to me. People are putting all these thirst trap photos up. I'm like, you're not, no one's, uh, no one's electing. You're not getting anything out of that, and yet you do it. But, like. Like, Trump, he gets something out of watching TV because he's obsessed, as he should be obsessed with TV. It is literally the most powerful medium, and he uses it so exquisitely. It's frightening. When I really saw that King BB document, it really, I mean, like, I already was like, maybe Trump is not that dumb, but, like, and I, and, you know, like, he, uh, it makes sense that he would care about this because it, it, it A, allows him, it, it basically is an instant feedback loop of whether he's controlling the narrative at any given time. You know, like watching, don't think about cable TV as like a news source. Think about it as like a barometer, you know, or like a thermometer. Like Trump just always wants to keep it at like 103 degrees because like, Basically, 103 degrees kills off any bacteria that is not him. That's a good way to think about how he uses the media and stokes it and makes people upset and makes people scared. Both people who are against him scared, but also the people who like him scared. You know, like that's just the whole game. It's just, it's Benjamin Netanyahu's right. Media, media, media. Like Trump is excellent at media. He's even when he's bad, he's good. You know what I mean? It's like a Farley Brothers comedy. <laughs> it's it's like a Jim Carrey movies in the nineties. Like you know, it's like it's so or like you know, it's like it's so tasteless, but you can't look away. It's like horrible bosses. Like any of these comedies that come out, Twenty One Jump Street. It's just like, ugh, you know, it's a train wreck, and that's part of. I mean, like the thing is, it looks like a train wreck. So you want to keep looking, but if you really think about it, it is the most exquisitely designed train wreck because it keeps going. It never stops. Like, that's not an accident. You can't stumble into a train. Steve King, Iowa, he's like a train wreck, right? Like he, but at a certain point, like his train wreck ended. And also his constituents continue to support him. But my point is to sustain a a train wreck for, at, at this point, four years. And counting, if we include, like, all the statements, you know, early in the primaries, like, you know, like, that's not a train wreck anymore. That's a masterpiece. I don't know what point it's at. It's like that saying that if you kill one person, you're a murderer, but if you kill, like, 200,000 people, you're a war hero. It's a little bit like that. It's a little, it's a little like that. It's just, you know, when the numbers go up, everything just inverts. 
I don't know. It's a weird statistical quirk. <laughs> but yeah, there is something to that, you know? It's like it's like can you really call this a train wreck anymore or is this just really good improvisation? You know, where like like you know, in improv, right? They they evaluate it as like, you know, it's the old idea of like it's the old like Sufi. <laughs> it was weird, but I, I saw this in the book. It's the idea that like uh the most beautiful blanket is the one where the errors actually become new patterns. The mistakes actually uh, become articulations. And I think that's sort of how he operates. You know what I mean? Like, And it makes sense because like, he's paying attention to how the media is covering him. And he's sort of improvising off of that. You know what I mean? Like, like as much as he hates – well, that's the thing. He doesn't even hate CNN if you, really, if you really think about it the way I'm thinking about this right now. Trump doesn't hate CNN even when he says he hates it. It's like – It's like Trump, it's like CNN is John Coltrane, and Trump is Miles Davis, and we're living in kind of blue. That's, that's, (laughs) that's what's going on, you know, the greatest Jazz album of all time, most influential, most groundbreaking, innovative, is being made. And we're a part of it. We're not watching it. We are the saxophone. (laughs) We're the saxophone. And he is the trumpet. That is what's going on. It's it's just it's the only way to explain all the things I've seen and all the things I've felt. You know, that's ugh, that's what it is. He's just playing off of us and playing with us. Ugh. I, I I know that sounds so weird. But it, it just it just think about it. Just really, really think about it. What I realized was like here's here's like another way to think about it. Like Trump got Apprentice was on for five years. Now he was already a self promoting guy before the Apprentice. But with the Apprentice, he was on for like five years. I've lived in L.A. for four years, and what I've learned is, like, you know, reality TV is heavily, heavily manipulated, scripted, controlled, right? And basically what I'm trying to say is The Apprentice is the perfect training for being a politician. And I'm I'm not saying that just to be, like, flip or as a hot take. I'm going to go into what I mean. I mean to say that Trump got training, right? Like, there's a whole production staff that, you know, would, you know, producers would go up to, presumably would go up to Trump. And I've seen this from working on on Real Time with Bill Maher, uh, right? It's the idea that, like, everything is scripted. And so you have people who are experts in things. So there's a person who teaches you how to address the camera, and there's a person who, you know, you learn how to do your makeup or what, what, right? Like makeup artists have a sense of what looks good on a screen or what audience is like, right? That's what you hire them for. So there are producers 
on reality TV shows. And they will coach the subjects in how to communicate in a way for maximum impact, which is to say engagement, controversy, suspense, etc. Right? In the same way that a writer writes a script. So what I'm saying is, for five years, Trump got some of the best media training that you could get. The kind of training you couldn't buy. Because you can't pay NBC to air your show. NBC has to want to air your show because they can make money off of it. Right? And so he does this for five years, and he has producers who are the best in the business, right? I mean, I mean, the guy who created The Apprentice, what, Mark Burnett or whatever, the guy's worth like $400 million. Himself is worth $400 million. He's produced all these different reality TV shows, right? Mark Burnett, I think his name's Mark Burnett. Right, he's worth $400 million. Like, he knows how to get people engaged. If he didn't, he would not have that amount of money, right? Like, just let's just look at it that way. He just wouldn't have that amount of money. Right? So he must be very good at what he does. And for five years, Trump basically got training from his production company about how to be entertaining, how to communicate, how to keep up suspense, how to, you know, what audiences, what viewers. Also, not only did he get a sense of how to portray himself, but he also got a sense of what human desires really were like. Again, from these conversations with producers. You know, and you probably learn by osmosis in the same way that I'm learning about the entertainment industry by osmosis in some ways as well, by just being around it more. So I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is it's like, yeah, he he got like if you think about it, like Benjamin Netanyahu was successful because he was like smart, but also because he, he understood how to play the media and he just got really he got better and better at it all the time. And it's like but he did that like out in the wilderness, just cutting his teeth like Trump gets to do that every, like, he did that for five years, like, just in a very tightly controlled way. Right? Like, yeah, he's great at this. And it matters. Like, people care. People care. Like, if you look at it, I mean, and this this may be me taking the wood back to, like, you know, like, people who are, like, liberal that I know. But it's like, yeah, like, you can't out-troll Trump. Like, every other, it, it sort of makes sense why, like, Trump survives in our era, right? Like, if you think about it as, like, a disease. If you think about, like, biology. I know I'm bringing in, like, biology. And, you know, this is armchair, so you know what? You can check me. I'd actually love to talk about this more. So, you know, if you know me, or even if you don't, just freaking message me on, like, Instagram, and we'll talk more about this. Because I, I actually think this is, like, I want to keep digging into this idea. It's just basically that, like, and I, it sort of goes back to even what I was saying about, like, Trump keeps it at 103 because everyone else dies. Because he sucks the oxygen out of the room, uh, right? Uh, right? And, uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, every—if you think about it, Trump is the only candidate that seems to be able to withstand the barrage that a bunch of, like, snarky liberal people throw at every Republican politician. Like, literally everyone before this. Think about it. Like, I know Marco Rubio. I know he was, like, a lawyer or a businessman. Like, I know he's, like, married to, like, a model. But, like, if you ask me, I know he's from Florida. And I know he's Cuban, I guess, right? Um, he's very light-skinned Hispanic. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, but the most memorable thing about Marco Rubio 
is probably like number two is his failure to get a comprehensive immigration bill passed. And that's what I know as like a person who reads a newspaper. But like Marco Rubio's most significant achievement was when every where did Marco Rubio actually go viral? When he did the rebuttal to the to, to Obama's State of the Union, and he went and like jumped over for the side and got water and drank it, and everyone was making so much fun of him for it, and Marco Rubio's reputation took a big hit, at least among liberals who don't like him, anyways, right? And same thing with uh with Bobby Jindal, right? Like everyone, as soon as he did the rebuttal to Obama, like everyone started being like making fun and saying oh this guy sounds like you know the guy on 30 rock and he sounds just like some weird hick and like literally bobby Jindal died like overnight right and and this made uh, a lot of my friends and me a little bit feel really good it made actually me feel sort of bad because i was like this is not how politics should work like we shouldn't uh, like, if you don't like someone, you should just be like, I don't like them. You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't like what they stand for. I don't like their policies. Like, this way of attacking people, this way of, like, making things go viral and making memes out of people. Like, I always got the sense that it was a fucked up way to run politics. You know? It's the equivalent of, like, looking at a kid. Like, I was a kid who grew up, we, we didn't have as much money, so I had bad shoes. You know, and kids would make fun of me for like my shoes being scruffed up. And I was like, well, maybe if you don't like me, that's like a legitimate way to diss me. But like, you don't even know me. You literally know me through my shoes. Right. And it's a, it's a, it's a fucked up way to treat people. I mean, just frankly, it's, a, it's like, you know, I know there's a comedy podcast, but like, it's a fucked up way to treat people. And I guess what I'm also saying is like, I always made me uncomfortable. And what I realize now is I think one of the reasons it made me uncomfortable was because there was a sense in which like politics was becoming like sort of like petty and mean spirited. It, You know, it's like it feels good when you're making fun of Marco Rubio for getting that water or you're making fun of Bobby Jindal for like uh, for, you know, sounding like 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 a hick. Right. But like that's Tuesday. You know, by Thursday, it'll be like women being called pigs because they don't look like models, right? Uh, or people being called ugly or boring. Like, in other words, you've what you've done is you've dropped the level of discourse to, like, an insult level. And that's great when you're giving out the insults and the people you don't like are on the other end of it. But what about when you're on the other end of it? And that's exactly what we have today. Right? Like, it's just, it's a bad way to be. And we embraced it. And Trump was the disease that could survive that kind of attack. How many times have people called him orange and he, yet he only grows bigger? Right? Like, he thrives on mean spirited politics. In fact, when you engage in mean spirited politics, he's literally the only thing that can survive. <laughs> You've made politics inhospitable for any other kind of person. I really mean that when I really think about it. You've made politics unworkable for re you know, even if you disagree with like Republicans on some policy issues, like if you're just gonna humiliate everyone, well then the only person who can survive is someone who's so out there. 
that they can resist humiliation and shame. I mean, I've even noticed this for myself. Like, you know, and I've talked about this on like earlier episodes. I think I'm, I think I'm getting to a point where like, you know, it's like, especially in like public discourse with millennials, right? Like people just try to shame you for your opinions. And that, and that worked for like, for me, like that worked against me for a little while, right? Like I'd be like, oh, I'm, I guess I should feel bad about how I feel about something. And that person would win, right? Um, they would win in saying, oh, you should be more liberal. You should be more in support of African-Americans. You should be in support of this policy. You should be in support of, of uh, fighting against, you know, this. You should be more for LGBT rights, whatever, right? Like shame is a great tool. But after enough years of having that used on me, like, I think I'm just impervious to shame. Like, I realize that, like, oh, if I really think about it, it's like you could be shamed about anything. You could be shamed about feeling the right way about an issue. So at a certain point, you just go, I, I'm not going to react to shame. And it's interesting because psychologically, then the whole world opens up of possibility. But it also means, like, you know, it's just like, you can't you, you can't really like like in other words like that tool if it used sparingly would actually be corrective but if you use it a ton and you just use it to discredit everyone well the only thing that can survive is something that is just like i don't give a fuck that you're trying to discredit me i will bury you <laughs> and that's what trump is that's what trump is like he you know what i mean like he because like anybody else any other republican candidate we like, liberals would be able to trash them you know, but they might have better ideas. They might not be so ridiculous. So I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just funny to think that like, I mean, I'm not. I mean, you know, the people write these articles that are like liberals are to blame for this and blah 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 blah, and young people are to blame for this. And I'm I don't want to take it there, like uh, just like as an armchair thing. But like, I do sort of also want to take it there and like realize it's like, yeah, like we're gonna have to get to a point where like. If everyone has a weak point, right? Like, I mean, a great example of this is like every politician usually has some kind of weird money thing going on, some kind of weird shady real estate deal, some shady this, some shady that, some kind of weird thing in their past. And sort of the baseline of politics is like, yeah, so what? You know what I mean? Like there's a certain like if you go beyond that, well, then like the Department of Justice will investigate you, right? But like there's some certain base level, level of like you can't be corrupt. But the point is, like, if we tear down all the politicians, like, the, the intention of tearing down politicians who have who exhibit corruption is that we'll end up with politicians who aren't corrupt. But what actually happens, if you think about it biologically, is like, no, what survives is the person who is impervious from criticism about corruption. It, it, in fact, the opposite happens. You know, it's like you've used a disinfectant and it's but you've only used it's like you've used a disinfectant that like kills 99% of the bacteria but that 1% that survives it is a fucking nightmare <laughs> and you can't use it you I mean that's the thing like you you can't viral you can't outshame trump so he's the thing that survives and thrives he thrives in you hating him he's like he's like emperor palpatine you know, the more anger, the better. Bring it on. And and it's just, yeah, I, I think that that's, I mean, I don't know. Those are all my thoughts, like, after seeing the King BB thing. But, you know, I really, right? Like, you, you know, I'll give an example. It's like, you know, it's like it's like my mom, right? Like, if she tries, like, you know, shame me or guilt me into things. Like, at a certain point, I'm just like, 
I'm just not going to respond to guilt anymore. Right? Like that part of me just, I'm either going to keep responding to it and keep being sort of controlled by it, or like I'm just going to at a certain point go, oh, I can just turn this switch off. And then there's no guilt that you can make me feel. And that's, you know, and I think that that is sort of what, that's sort of what Trump. <laughs> I, I know I've said this about a billion different ways, but I just think this is fascinating. Anyways, I really didn't, that was, that was like, I really went into it. I really went into it. Like he, yeah, he's, he's, he's just incredible is what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, and he's a product of, of the conditions, which came before him, you know? And I mean, isn't there something sort of noble about that? <laughs> he is the right predator for the environment. He just is. <sighs> you know, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, you know, <laughs> but I don't think I'm wrong. Uh, Santa Barbara was beautiful, man. We went there. It was uh, it was funny. Like I was walking around with a friend and we were just like, how does a place like Santa Barbara exist? Right. Because there's no clear industries around santa barbara right it's not obvious why santa barbara exists and then like we just came up with like when we were like conjecturing about it it's just like these cities there are these cities right like that just exist in these beautiful you know removed locations that are just gorgeous and they're fun and they're colorful and you just you're like why does this exist like you go to carmel and it's like carmel's gotta be carmel by the sea has to be, like, the oldest pop... You only see... Oh, like, even in Santa Barbara, you saw a lot of old people there. You know what I mean? Like, same thing, like, in, in Carmel-by-the-Sea. Like, Carmel-by-the-Sea is probably 70% nurses. That's the population. The other 30% are just sick people. You know, they're just old people with coughs. And, and it's like these places exist, you know? Like, Santa Barbara is one of those. And it's super expensive, but there's no clear industries. And there's like, you know, you go down State Street and it's amazing. State Street is dope, but it's like literally all wall to wall. It's either like weird clothing stores. um, You know, it's like places that sell the kind of shit that that like husbands and wives argue about after it's purchased. Like, you know, the argument is basically like, why did you buy this and where are we going to put it in our place? Like that, it, it sells that kind of shit. You know what I mean? Uh and I, I don't know, I was just concluding, I was like, what is in Santa Barbara? It's like, I realized, like, why does Santa Barbara even exist historically? And my only guess was that it was basically, like, moneyed uh, ranch families. It's like, it's like, it's the confluence of, like, all the ultra-capitalist things. Like, you know, all, like, you know, it's, 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 it's probably gold money, it's oil money, uh, it's Hollywood, like, producer money, it's their getaway from L.A., you know. Uh, when you know it's it's the, and they don't even stay there the whole weekend they just they just like stop off there on their way to to like Big Sur you know they're placing Big Sur so they stop at their place in, in Santa Barbara for a night you know she's like my husband he just he he doesn't like driving that far <laughs> in one go so we 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 set up this town <laughs> where he can live and and the servants can live here year round um man. It is just, it is just, it's funny. It's funny. Santa Barbara is just a, you know, it's just a wacky clothing store, you know, city that's just, you know, uh, just cracked out. And, um, and yeah, I just, I just really, 
I dig it. And uh and yeah, I don't know. That that that's all that's pretty much what I wanted to say. Um but yeah, it's just like all these like and I just has to be wealthy ranchers. But it's just such a weird city. It's beautiful. It's absolutely freaking gorgeous. I've never seen so many restaurants next to restaurants, next to restaurants, next to restaurants, all in mission style architecture. It was beautiful. Um made me think of Stanford. The first I wanted to visit the campus because my friend lived in Palo Alto. And um, uh, it looked so beautiful and ornate. Like, it looked it looked like something out of one of those movies. Uh, like, like, it looked like something out of Narcos. Just, like, all these palm trees and all this, like, mission, you know, Spanish architecture. I just, I was expecting guys to be patrolling with machine guns. You know, not not full-size machine, like Uzis. You know, or like AK forty sevens just patrolling the ground. That's that's like that's what I was uh, hoping for. Um, out of out of that that's what that's like. Uh, even let's was like even the McDonald's looked nice in Santa Barbara. Even the McDonald's looked classy. Like it's funny to think that like that's old Santa Barbara. You know, so basically there's like all these wealthy people, and then there's just like all the people who work in the service industry and support. Um, you know, the existence of all those businesses there. Because, I mean, there's nothing to do in Santa Barbara, but it's just, yeah, I mean, I guess it's tourism and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a really interesting and sort of peculiar city, I think. I found it very strange. Yeah, strange is the word I'd use. Um, And, yeah, I just... But it was, yeah, it was nice. It was nice. Anyways, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Uh, I did go down to the beach. It was super fun, colorful. I went to this place um, that was just excellent. This uh, this like beer place. Um, uh, what's it called? Um, I think it's called like Institution Brewery or something like that. Uh, but it was awesome. It was it was excellent. And um, I don't know. Oh, I had this thing called State Street. I think it's the Institution Brewery or something like that. I think it's called Institution Institution Ale. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, Institution. And it's, oh, man, it was, the beer was just so... It was so good. They had this this beer called State Street that is just amazing. And uh, you know, as just the old man that I am, I haven't been out to like a bar like that in a while. Um, and it was just they had really really good beer. Uh, they they just they you know like it make I don't know how they do it, but it had this, they had this location downtown. The beers taste amazing. Uh, it, the place is cheap. Uh, it's got a great like you know layout. It's just like everything about it was just friggin' cool. I know I sound like such an old man. <laughs> it was just so neat. Um, but it was good. And if you ever do get down to Santa Barbara, let me know. Uh, you can hit me up. Don't believe Jack on Instagram. And uh, and yeah, but the State Street State and I have the State Street. That is one of the that might be one of the finest beers I've ever had. Like, and I've had a lot of different kinds of beers. I think it might be one of the best. Uh, yeah, I would actually. Yeah, no, I really, I really mean that shit. Um, it, it's good. It's good. 
so yeah. Uh, what else? Um, I don't know. I had sort of a interesting like a yeah. I met a nice uh, young woman. Uh, we went out. I hardly knew her. She, I wanted to make out with her. She didn't want to make out with me. But then she also got, um, God, she she got like upset that I started talking to someone else at the bar, like super upset. And uh, and I was just like, I don't. This is. I was like, man, I don't. I don't know what the hell's going on. I have no idea how this works. <laughs> I am. I must be so out of practice or something. God, ugh. Um. But but I did it did lead you know good things you always have to you know mama always you know I'm I'm gonna channel Bobby Gentle mama always told me that you know uh, you got to be grateful for things in this life and uh, one of the things I'm grateful for is um, no that's that's not what I friggin said uh, but um, one of the things that I legit do feel is that uh, one of the really satisfying things um in life is uh oh oh yeah like it, one of the satisfying things in life is learning how to uh under appreciate the good that comes out of the bad or the complicated something seemingly is not good but in the end it is good uh and i think that that's an important thing to cultivate uh, actually, right? I think that, I mean, no joke. I, I think that's like some really deep, worthwhile stuff to think about. I think it is really important to learn how to, how to deal with positive, uh, like how to, how to look at the good that comes out of the quote unquote bad and how it's all continuous. Um, uh, basically I, I, I talked about the situation because I actually I genuinely found the person really interesting and we talked a lot about like immigrant stuff and it was, it was quite, it was quite cool. And even despite like that entire thing, it's like, you know, and, and it, impressively she did apologize the next day and was like, uh, yeah, that was a little bit overboard. I shouldn't have done that. And I actually was like, oh wow, the person seems to be like mature and maybe we can relate to one another. Um, it's weird because it's so contemporaneous. Um, but this is all like happening in like the last 48 hours. Uh, but, but it did bring home like a really interesting point. I had this great conversation. One of the good, what I'm trying to say with all my meandering is one of the fucking hilarious things that came out of it was I just talked with like a buddy of mine. Well, he's sort of, he's like, he's like an older brother to me. He's a little bit like a mentor, but he's also just like a friend. And, uh, and he was just was pointing out, he was like, dating is stupid. Like dating doesn't make any sense. Like, if you really want to get to know someone, you have to spend quite a bit of time. You have to let it like unfold organically. And that was what he sort of pointed out to me. He was like, he was like, ah, yeah, it sounds like she has some issues, but also sounds like she came and apologized. So like, so like you now know that she has issues, but you also know her character of willing to take like ownership of those issues. And he basically said like, both are really sort of important. Like, you, you want to really think and, and weigh and appreciate the fact that, like, someone would be capable of coming and apologizing about something. Being like, nah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Like, that's a that's a good sign. But basically what he was saying was, like, if you want to understand someone, you have to understand them organically. And he also said, look, I mean, you know, if you're honest with yourself, like, you were having a nice conversation with this person and you now wanted to make out with this person. And, you know, you felt frustrated about that. And you were... You really were not letting this situation be organic either. 
So there was sort of inorganicness in terms of her trying to possess. There was an inorganicness in you trying to, like, force, you know, physical contact. And uh, neither makes sense. I was like, yes. Yes, Obi-Wan. Uh, but, like, no, for real. Like, he, he did make a really, really great point. And, he, you know, his core point was that, like, dating is silly. Like, this idea that, you know, the, his idea was that things should be reveal themselves organically. And you were having a nice organic conversation, and it became, like, deeply inorganic very rapidly. And that's not right. It's better to, to, to just let it, let it be. Enjoy yourself. Um, and he basically was saying that, like, dating is, is silly. It's, like, the dumbest fucking thing. Like, you, you should, you know, like you are getting to know each other organically. So like, just take your time in getting to know people. Like, don't rush anything. And and it is true. Like, like you know, like dating is essentially this thing where like you go and you go and have coffee with someone. It's like I don't fucking go and have coffee with people. Like, there's one dude. There's one person I have coffee with, and that's a dude. There's one dude that I will have coffee with. Everyone else, I'll just call them. We'll just talk, right? Or we'll go for a hike or I don't know, like I'll invite them over to like like watch soccer or something, right? Like that's me. And the idea is like, again, this goes back. This is the third time. MLK, Trump, and and Jack Michelle, all three, the method is the message. Like you, you, the best way to get to know someone is just by inviting them on activities that you would do yourself. Because, you know, his his point was like, you know, it's really funny. His point was just like, you should, you know, go with someone to do something that they're passionate about. Or you should take someone to do something with you that you're passionate about. Because that's actually getting to know someone. That's what dating should be. And dating instead is this weird-ass ritual that's like culturally determined. And it has to go a certain way. And it has to involve you spending money on someone. Which of course just like it, it makes an already inorganic situation even more inorganic. You know it makes it so fake. And it puts all this pressure on it. Because you know I was joking. I was like I think it's weird. Like as a guy I realized like he's so right man. If I could have done it this other way I would have never taken anyone on a date. Because it's weird, like, you know, it's like volunteering for something, right? Like, you, you have to pay to spend time with someone to let them know they're a pre... What a fucked up way to start anything. <laughs> I mean, other than a business, right? But, like, this isn't a business. Like, like volunteering is like, is, like, when you care. And then, like, when there's money involved, it's, like, a job. And that's exactly what a lot of this shit becomes, you know, and it's this idea of like, well, you know, even even in the most, you know, disciplined of dating arenas, it's like, well, I go on this amount of dates and we talk about these sorts of things. And then I uh, and then we have sex on the third date after I pay for three meals. Like it's so it forces all sorts of weird distortions in behavior. With, I mean, with no, ugh, with no apparent, I don't know, utility. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's basically saying I value you. Um, I'm willing. I'm putting in time. But it, it's it's weird because it's it's literally you on your best behavior. You being fake. No one ever really knows every anyone on these dates. I mean, the idea that you're gonna sleep with someone after a third day, or that the idea is like, oh, we've been dating for three months, so now we're exclusive. Like. You don't 
like, why? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're committed because I now understand who this person is. It's like, yeah, after three months, you understand? If you can figure out, you know, a woman, or you can figure out a man in, like, three months, well, I mean... Like, don't get married. Become a consultant because you must be really good at something. You know, it's like no one knows anyone that quick. And and certainly not on a bunch of like artificial activities and getaways. You know, like it's such a weird way to try to understand someone. And it's so forced. And it's expensive. And I think, for me, money distorts definitely, like, dating quite a bit of just being like, oh, I put in this money, so, like, now I have to think this person's a decent person. It's, like, it's basically that that Benjamin Franklin rule where, like, if you want someone to like you more, ask them to do – don't do a favor for them. Ask them to do a favor for you because they'll have to convince themselves that they like this person. And that's – yeah, I think I don't want to convince myself that I like someone. I just want to figure out whether I like them or not. And, like, dating is such a weird way to do it. Like, I realized, like, before I, I stopped dating, like, in the last two months when I'd gone to date, it's like, I'm going to these coffee shops and talking to people. Like, I don't do that. I don't do that at all. Like, I go on hikes. I hang around my apartment. <laughs> I go to museums. Um, I go on the days that it's free because I'm frugal. I'm not going to go there and pay, you know, like, you know, uh, or, you know, if, if I would tell a girl, yeah, I'm going to the museum. I'm going on the day it's free. It's like the first thought is like, oh, he's cheap or something. It's just weird. It's weird. Like this idea that I have to communicate. It's like, well, maybe I'm just frugal. I'm not cheap. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're the same. But in any case, uh, <laughs> let's look. At, I, I don't have time to look at a dictionary. Um, But it just does get to this idea that like you can't really understand someone in like a couple in like the most artificial environment right like it's so much healthier to understand and learn about someone through you know interacting with their organic behaviors and i really do see a kind of truth to that like it really is helpful (laughs) it really is helpful to like uh to just uh, really look at someone's behaviors in the moment and really talk things through. That's how you're going to see. The way he put it was he said, look, like I want to be with someone. And I, I love what he said. He basically said, look, I want to be with someone who's got like, you know, warmth and generosity and intelligence and kindness and understanding. And it's like, how can you know, you know, like it's such an, like it, even on dates, like people try to communicate those qualities but it's all so contrived, you know? It's just so, so contrived. And you don't really get to know somebody. You just get to know some version of themselves that they're trying to, like, put across to you in freaking, you know, like, two-hour increments. It's weird, you know? Like, we think the idea of, like, a family setting someone up with someone else is weird like no like friggin if you think about it like three dates where you try to tell the same fucking stories you've told over and over again you know i've went to like uino vino tonight and i heard this guy like spinning all these tales and she she the, the girl was pretending like she was like really interested and i was listening to what he was saying and i was like i don't know what's interesting about any of this crap you know what i mean like this isn't a real conversation 
this isn't like you seeing the real person. This is like this person's doing the entertaining and you're being entertained. And, um, you know, and, and maybe you guys are going to have sex and this wine bar will definitely take a cut, uh, of the money. Uh, it prefers money. Um, and yeah, it's just, it just, it's weird. You're never going to know someone in that amount of time, you know, uh, uh and, and, you know, I was saying, like, a shot clock is good in basketball, but not in dating. But essentially what you have in dating is a shot clock. And you have all these, like, artificial escalators, you know, of, like, the like dating and courtship and just... And it, where does it come from? It comes from, like, a really... Actually, if you think about it, it comes from, like, a really sort of restrictive tradition. Like, if you look at, like, the history of a lot of this stuff, it, you would be you'd be like, this is terrible. But it's like, yeah, but uh, it's what Kelly wants. <laughs> it's like Kelly doesn't, and then Kelly doesn't even know why she wants it. You know, I don't know. It's just funny. You know, like I think about it. Like, you know, Bill Gates. Like, you can you can make fun of him, right? He looks like a dweeb and dresses awkwardly and stuff. But I sort of have to give him credit that, like, you know, he married uh, someone who was an executive at Microsoft. Like, he got to know her like through like like observe observation. In, like, business, which I have to think is, like, one of the best ways to actually understand how someone deals with, like, stress and pressure and leadership and communication. Like, that's actually a really, really great way to meet somebody, you know? It's certainly much better than, like, a, you know, a nice picture on Hinge. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that is the episode. And uh, I hope you guys have a nice night. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye.